Jesus is saying, you live wicked lives, and then you come here to the temple and you say, everything's safe, everything's fine. We're safe from the wrath of God because we paid the tax, we bought the dove, we bought the lamb, we gave the right sacrifices, we came to the right feast. This system of man-centered works righteousness, it is an affront to God and it needs to die. So as Jesus is acting these things out, of course, it's it's almost like he's putting this exclamation point in, in vivid color what God is here to say. Because we know, you know the old saying, which is true, by the way, that actions speak what? Louder than words. Actions speak louder than words. Is that true? Actions speak louder than words? It is true. Actions do speak louder than words. However, words speak more precisely than actions. Okay? You you see the, the relationship between the two. Actions can speak very loudly. Actions can make a point with an exclamation point. But words can speak precisely. So Jesus doesn't leave this just to actions. He doesn't just do these things. He doesn't just kick the people out and then say, there, go and interpret this on your own. Jesus will then explain his actions and he'll do it with words. So now take a look back at our text, verse 17. And he was teaching them and saying to them, that's in the imperfect. So we could say that Jesus was continually teaching them. He didn't just say this once. He repeated himself. He was teaching them and saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. So here is Jesus' explanation for what he did. And to explain it, he quotes from two of the prophets, the prophet Isaiah from Isaiah 56 and the prophet Jeremiah from Jeremiah 7. So we'll look at these two quotations and this will show us exactly Jesus' meaning and what he was doing. Now, one of the most helpful insights, I think, one of the most helpful things to keep in mind as we look at quotations from the Old Testament in the New is this. We keep this in mind and it's this. What we often find in the New Testament is a little smidget of a quote. Just a little, just a few, just a few words, maybe a sentence of an Old Testament quote. And what the person quoting that is saying is that the entire passage from which I quote this little snippet, that's what I'm talking about. So we, we find that over and over in the New Testament. We'll find just a little short little phrase or something that comes from the Old Testament. And what we are to think is not just that the, the, the specific words that are there, but the overall passage that was quoted. That's what the, the speaker or the writer had in mind. Kind of like this. If I were to say something like this, if I were to say, I want to make a point about God's fatherly love and God's fatherly protection towards his children. God provides for us. He protects us. He is like the good shepherd toward us. He is. He protects us against our enemies. He provides for our needs, all these sorts of things. I might say something like this. The Lord is our shepherd. Right. And, and what I mean by that is not just the Lord is our shepherd, but I also mean he leads me beside still waters. He makes me lie in green pastures. He prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. 
right? I mean all those things together, but I didn't say all those things. All I said was, the Lord is our shepherd. That sort of thing happens all the time in the New Testament. A speaker or a writer will just say a little snippet, and what they mean is that whole passage is what I'm talking about right here, okay? So, as we take a look at these two quotations from the New Testament, or from, from the Old Testament, the first one comes from Isaiah chapter 56. Let's take a look at this one first. Jesus says from this passage, he says, Is not my house to be known as, uh, known as a house of prayer for all the nations? So when Jesus says that, that's a little snippet from Isaiah chapter 56. Let's look at the passage in its entirety. And when Jesus quotes from Isaiah, here's what he's saying. He's saying that this temple... You've taken this temple and you've perverted it to be something it never was intended to be. You've turned it into something that's this item of exclusion that separates you from the very people that I intended to draw unto myself. I intended for the temple to draw all nations unto me, but instead you've turned it into something completely different. And now we'll see that plainly in Isaiah's words. If you look with me in Isaiah chapter 56, beginning from verse 3. So, Here's what God says. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. So very plainly, God says, let it not be said. Let the foreigner never say that he has come to be joined to to the true and living God, that the foreigner has been drawn to the living God and the foreigner has joined himself to God. And then somebody comes along and says, no, you be separate. That's what God said, very plainly. Let it never be said that the the foreigner who has come to be joined to me has somebody say, no, you be separate. So here plainly, very plainly, God is saying, I do not wish for my nation, for my people, for my temple to be something that excludes those foreigners or those, to use another word, Gentiles who come seeking the true and living God. Let let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. And let not the eunuch say, behold, I am a dry tree. So here is a reference to this eunuch. Now, eunuchs are a little bit difficult for us to understand, for us to relate to, but we find them all the time in the, not all the time, we find them frequently in the Old Testament. So what we are to understand when we read about this eunuch, a eunuch was just simply a man who was, castrated, a man who no longer has the tools to be a man. He's now uh, a male without the male genitalia. So the eunuch was something that was quite popular in the ancient world for two reasons. There were many eunuchs in the ancient world because oftentimes household servants, if they were male, would be made eunuchs so as to avoid any sort of difficulties with female servants, with female household servants, or especially with the matron of the house. So if a household servant or a household slave would often be made a eunuch so so that the master of the house could avoid all those sorts of difficulties. But then the main reason that we find lots of, of eunuchs in the ancient world was because a great deal of pagan worship had to do with the making of oneself to be a eunuch. So oftentimes if a, if a male was particularly devoted to a, a false deity, to a false god, they would, in their devotion to these false gods, they would make themselves eunuchs voluntarily. 
as a way of saying we are devoted to this false god. So there were a lot of people in the ancient world, a lot of men who were eunuchs by way of devotion to a false god. So what God is saying here is, and this is staggering, what God is saying is those eunuchs, those who have in the past devoted themselves wholly to a false god, when they come to me in repentance and seek to seek to be bonded to me, let no one turn them away. Now, look at what else God says to the eunuchs. Who, uh, uh, he says, I'm sorry, let not the eunuch say, behold, I'm a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant. I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. Did you hear what God said there? To those who have in the past wholly and completely devoted themselves to a false God, and now they come to me, I will give them a name better than the name of sons and daughters. They will have a full place at my table. They will not have to stay outside in some exterior courtyard. They will be given a name better than the name of sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. So what was true of a eunuch? Their name was cut off. And God says to them, those who in a past life even gave themselves unreservedly to false gods, When they come to me in faith and repentance, binding themselves to the true and living God, they will have a place at my table. Let no one say that they will be cut off. I will give them an everlasting name. And then he goes on to say, verse six, and the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord shall to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord, to be his servants. Everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast my covenant These I will bring to my holy mountain. Think right there, holy mountain. We'll come back to that. These I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. Their burnt offerings, their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. And oh, by the way, that's the altar that they are not allowed to go to. Because this system is now set up to exclude them from the very thing that God said, this is what I desire. I desire that the nations, those who are from the nations and I draw unto myself, I desire that no one would keep them away. But instead, they will have a name. They will have a place at my table. Their offerings on my altar will be accepted. And then here are these Jews saying, oh, no, 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 no. You have to keep out. Now we read, furthermore, their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all people. There's Jesus' quote. The Lord God who gathers the outcasts of Israel declares, I will gather yet others to to him besides those already gathered. So plainly, Jesus quotes this in order to say this. What God said through the prophet Isaiah, you are doing the polar opposite. What God said through the prophet Isaiah is that his temple, his altar, his holy mountain is is to be a place in which all people who are drawn to him by the sovereign Lord They will not find anyone to say this far and no more. You can come to this outer courtyard, but you can't come inside. Here's your place. The prophet Isaiah says that is not to be. And so Jesus quotes from this 
Again, to say the meaning of this larger passage is what I'm trying to say to you. What I'm trying to say to you is that the way that you're carrying out all this nonsense about Gentiles entering upon the cost of death, he says that's completely opposed to God's intentions. Then he goes on to quote from the prophet Jeremiah to say, and you have made this into a den of robbers. So what he said through the prophet Isaiah is that you have turned this on its head to be this, this thing of exclusion. It was, ne- it was meant to be just the opposite. Those who are drawn to the Lord are not excluded, but included. Then when he quotes from the prophet Isaiah, his point here is that the, you have turned the temple into a place of refuge for people to find refuge and safety in their sins. So from Jeremiah chapter 7, he quotes this one little snippet to say, you've turned it into a den of robbers. But let's look at the larger context. And this will be plain because God's words are very plain through the prophet Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 7. We'll all follow this very easily from verse 3. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, amend your ways and your deeds, and I will let you dwell in this place. Do not trust in these deceptive words. This is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. See that? That's pretty plain. Do not trust in these deceptive words. And the words are, this is the temple of the Lord. In other words, we're safe. We're spiritually safe because we changed our money. We bought the right dove. We gave the right sacrifice. We are spiritually safe because this is the temple of the Lord. But God says, do not trust in these deceptive words. Verse five, for if you truly amend your ways and your deeds, if you truly execute justice with one another, if you do not oppress the sojourner, the fatherless, the widow, or shed innocent blood in this place, and if you do not go after the other gods to your own harm, then I will let you dwell in this place. In other words, God is saying through Jeremiah that you are coming to the temple, you're giving the sacrifices, you're paying whatever temple tax, you're doing all these things, And then you go out and you live just like you want to live. You treat people just like you want to treat people. You you live in your sins. You're comfortable in your sins. You're comfortable sinning in all kinds of ways. But we're saying, oh, this is the temple. So I go to the temple. I give my sacrifice. I go to the temple. I pay my tax and everything's just fine because this is the temple of the Lord. And God's saying, do not trust in the temple. Their trust is in the temple. Their trust is in their sacrifice. And God is saying, Don't trust in a temple. Don't trust in any of that. Don't think that you can live any way that you want to live. Don't think that you can have a a heart that's far from the Lord. Don't think that you can have a heart that scorns other people. Don't think that you can have a heart that hates other people and does whatever you want. And then just as long as you come and do your sacrifice thing, then everything's okay. God is saying, don't trust in those words. This is is just like Jesus' condemnation of the Pharisees from Matthew chapter 25. Woe to the scribes and Pharisees who clean the outside of the cup, but the inside of the cup is filthy, dirty. It's like a tomb in which you have this whitewashed tombstone and on the inside are these old dead, dried up bones. The Pharisees have cleaned the outside, or in other words, they go to the temple, they do the sacrifices, they pay the tax, they do all these things, and then they live whatever the way they want to live. And they say, we're safe. We're safe because of the temple. And God says, false. Now, continue on. Verse seven. Then I will let you dwell in this place in the land that I give that I gave of old to your fathers forever. Behold, 
You trust in deceptive words to no avail. Will you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, make offerings to Baal, go after other gods that you have not known, and then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say, we are delivered? Only to go on doing the same abominations? You see how plain God is there? Will you just go and offer sacrifices to Baal and commit murder and steal and swear falsely and then come and stand before me in this house and say we're safe because we offer up the right sacrifices? Has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers in your eyes? And there's Jesus' quote. Has this house called by my name become a den of robbers in your eyes. So Jesus is not saying here that he's not happy that the people are being taken advantage of. And you can see that even in the analogy of the word picture that Jesus uses, a den of robbers. So think about that. What is a den? It's like the lair. It's like a robber's lair. So the robbers don't steal in their den. The den is where they go after they've stolen. You see, it's plain. And the word picture is clear. It's plain. Jesus is not saying, I'm unhappy that you're stealing from people here in the temple. Jesus is saying, you live wicked lives and then you come here to the temple and you say, everything's safe. Everything's fine. We're safe from the wrath of God because we paid the tax. We bought the dove. We bought the lamb. We gave the right sacrifices. We came to the right feast. He continues on. Behold, I myself have seen it, declares the Lord. Go now to my place that was in Shiloh, where I made the name of my, where I made my name dwell at first, and see what I did to it because of the evil of my people Israel. So God says, think about Shiloh. Think about when they had the worship going on there at Shiloh. Same thing. What did I do to that? Says God, I destroyed it. And now, because you have done all these things, declares the Lord, and when I spoke to you persistently, you did not listen. And when I called you, you did not answer. Therefore, I will do to this house that is called by my name in which you trust and to the place that I gave to you and your fathers, just like I did in Shiloh. And I will cast you out of my sight as I cast out all your kinsmen, all all the offspring of Ephraim. So God says, you want an example? I did the same thing in Shiloh. They made the same mistake there. They thought that they could give sacrifices and do all these ritual things and then live whatever sort of wicked lives, have whatever sort of wicked heart that they wanted and everything was fine. God says, think about them. I destroyed them too. I'll just do the same here. So this is Jesus's point. His point is, number one, you have taken the house that's called by my name that was supposed to be a light to the nations and you flipped it on its head to say, oh, the nations can't come here. Only we Jews can come here. If you try to enter into this place, you'll do so under penalty of death. Two, Jesus says, furthermore, you have made this place a refuge for sinners, not a refuge for forgiven sinners or repentant sinners, a refuge for those who are safe in their sin and at peace with their sin, a refuge for them to come and say, oh, here we are, safe inside the sacrifices of the temple. And Jesus is saying, this wicked, abominable system has to go. So this is his acting out. This is his declaration. He declares these things. He speaks these things. Now take a look with me at verse 18. And the chief priests and the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him 
for they feared him. So they hear this. They take, they take note of his words. They're going to bring this up in chapter 13. It's going to come up again at chapter 14 at his trial. They're going to say, aren't you the one who said you're going to destroy the temple? They're going to bring it up again when Jesus is on the cross. In chapter 15, they're going to say, oh, you said you're going to destroy the temple and raise it again. Well, bring yourself down from the cross. So they hear his words. They understand his words. They fear him because of his words. And now because all the crowd, I'm sorry, for they feared him because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. Now, if we were reading this in the original Greek language, we would probably have noticed that Mark just repeated precisely the same phrase that he used in chapter one. Remember in chapter one, when Jesus is in the synagogue and he gives the teaching, he casts out the man with the, casts out the unclean spirit from the man and he gives the teaching and they say the exact same phrase. The people were astonished at his teaching because he taught as one with authority and not as their scribes. The identical phrase is here to say this. Jesus has declared from Galilee to Jerusalem, from the synagogue to the temple, he has declared this broken system of works righteousness is going. I am here to put it to death. He's declared that from Galilee to Judea, from the synagogue to the temple, and the people have heard it and they have recognized it and they have been astonished at it. Now verse 19, and when the evening came, they went out of the city. So this is this is the, the cleansing incident. I think a better word for it is the cursing. Jesus doesn't curse. He doesn't cleanse the temple. Jesus curses the temple. He says this temple is completely apostate. It's an abomination to God. It has been flipped on its head to mean something completely different than what it was ever intended to mean. Now the sacrifices, all this was put into place by God, but it's been perverted by the people. It's been perverted from something that the sacrifices were intended to teach them of the coming Messiah, to teach them of the sacrifice of the Messiah that was to come. And by placing faith in the sacrifices which pointed them to the Messiah, they were placing faith in God. But what's happened is that's been completely turned around to now the faith is in the sacrifices, the faith is in the temple. And so God says, you put your trust in the temple? Don't put your trust in the temple. Don't come to the temple and say, we're safe. We're safe because we're doing all the right things now. 